being married to an unbeliever, being married to an unbeliever can be one of the most difficult challenges in a Christian's life. And our guest joining us actually from Lakeland is Susan McKeldry. And she has written an article, and uh, there's so much to her story. She's written an article uh, about this challenge. And, you know, when your spouse is not a believer, a vertical Mm. perspective, and that's how I ran across her. But she has a wonderful book out as well with her backstory, Heaven's Joy, The Seeking and Saving of a Runaway Psychic. So I think that uh, maybe the best way to begin this conversation is to just talk about this background and, uh, you know, what she came out of and how she came to Christ. And then we're going to be talking about... Uh, you know, how to deal with the challenge of uh, having an unbelieving spouse. Susan, how in the world are you doing? Good. How are you? We're doing Good. great. Man, this is so cool that you're in Lakeland this morning. Yeah. Uh, Heaven's Joy, uh, the seeking and saving of a runaway psychic. Um, you spent at least, what, 10 years dabbling in the occult. Tell us how deep into this you really were. Yes, Um I was searching for answers, you know, to life and um, some dreams that I had had. And I went to my pastor and I didn't receive the answers that I wanted to from him. So I started looking elsewhere and that led me into the psychic world. And um, I started buying books from psychics and even went to events where they would give readings and um saw them that way and started, uh, you know, dabbling a little bit. I wasn't really too heavily involved in the, in my own psychic portion at that time, but I spent about 10 years um, just open to that whole world um, because it just seemed more exciting to me and um, more valid. Like I was, you know, you're getting these answers, you know, from the spirit world, what could be more real than that? Mm -hmm. And I was doing all that as I also professed to be a Christian Hmm. And, but even though I professed to be a Christian, I wasn't studying and reading the Bible. Hmm. So would you say at that that time you definitely were not a believer? Yeah, now, yes. Now, knowing what I know now, I definitely believe that I was not a believer at that time. Yeah, you can't Um, be in in both worlds, that's for sure. Well, you know, oddly, I know someone who's into all that and knows has memorized a lot of the Bible, but of course they misuse it. Right, yes, right, because that's another thing that the the devil uses is to twist. He'll take, now that I know, you know, uh, the Bible and and what God says, I now see how the devil was taking actual things from the Bible and twisting them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, He's good at that. So, yeah, so it's more focused on the self rather than, glorifying God. I'm curious, during these years, um, what kept you going, perhaps, was the fact of, you know what, I really am engaging the spiritual world. What types of experiences did you have? Did you have any frightening experiences? Um, Not in those first 10 years. I mean, I I had a couple of dreams I didn't quite understand, but I was, it was always back in my mind wondering if I had this supernatural power that our family had claimed my grandfather had. So that was like always in the back of my mind. And then after those 10 years, um, we had some dramatic things personally happen in our lives. We lost everything during the housing crash and 
um, as we started putting the pieces of our life back together, I was like, well, what am I going to do with my life now? And thoughts of the psychic world came to my head. And I was like, well, I wonder if I have this gift of my grandfather. So that's when I really started pursuing actually trying to harness my own psychic ability and um, do that for a living. And that's how I thought, you know, I would make money and we would be able to have this extra income. Mm. And um, that's when I, that's when things really, really started turning dark. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, tell us uh, what happened. What, What was the turning point for you? So after about two years, um, so I was able to give readings and um, I was being led by this other psychic who was getting her spiritual information and, and I was completely dependent upon her and what she was receiving. Um, but I started receiving, um, uh, you know, messages for people and it came to the point where I didn't have to do this little special connection thing that they do in the psychic world to receive these messages. The voice just started being there all the time. Mm. And so this voice I became, you know, very dependent upon and um, it just directed my life until, you know, the voice started telling me my husband was cheating on me and I needed to, you know, kick him out of the house. And I actually did that. And it was that night when that happened because then I felt, Oh, I'm free. I don't have, you know, this controlling factor of my husband anymore. I'm free to do whatever I want now, um, uh, not realizing I really wasn't free at all. But that evening, the voice, you know, they promise you all this treasure and these jewels and, and all this stuff you're going to get after you've lived and accomplished all this stuff in your life. Um, and so the voice was promised me, promising me that I was going to receive my golden halo that night. And for being so good and for, um, you know, going, surviving so much adversity in my life. So that morning, that night, because um, the nighttime was the most active, uh, the voice told me at three o'clock to look in my mirror and count down from 10. And when I got to zero, I would see the golden halo appear over my head in the mirror. So I'm all excited, three o'clock comes, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I start counting down from 10, and I get to zero, and I can hear what sounds like uh, the crackling of a sparkler, almost like, you know, an electrical kind of a sound, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, I don't see the halo, and I'm like, okay, where's the halo? Why didn't I receive my halo? And the voice says, the reason why you didn't receive your halo is because you are not good enough. And oh, boy. as as soon as that, I saw this dark looking cloak. The only way I can describe it is like the cloak of the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Just a dark, dark cloak superimposed over my reflection in the mirror. And I, so I couldn't see my reflection. I only just saw this dark, you know, cloak looking um, image over my reflection. And that's when I just, I lost, that's when my eyes were opened and I was just like, oh my gosh. And I turned away from the mirror and I started screaming and I'm looking up to heaven and I'm saying, no, no, I love God. I love God. And as I'm screaming in my head, my voice sounded demonic. Mm. And I thought that was it. I thought I was going to hell. I belonged to the devil and that was it. And, and, uh, you know, like it was too late. And, um, I ran out of my room screaming. My kids woke up and they, I had them call the family to help me because now I think I'm um, possessed, you know, by a demon. 
And my family all came to my house at 4 o'clock in the morning, my brothers, my parents. And um, they ended up, they saw my downturn, you know, they saw the spiral coming. And um, so they kind of had been prepared, you know, for anything to happen. So when this, when they all came, they called the sheriff's department. And um, they had um, a deputy come speak with me. And they all had me um, involuntarily Baker acted into the mental unit of the hospital. And mm-hmm. I spent five days in there. Yeah. Wow. So when did you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? When do you think that moment really happened for you? Well, I knew when all of that happened, I knew I didn't ever, you know, that was some bad stuff. And I didn't want to have anything to do with that world ever again. But while I was in the hospital, you know, I was locked up, nowhere to go, you know, completely and totally alone. And I think that was one of my biggest fears uh, was being alone and out of control because you're in control of nothing. I couldn't even have control over my toothpaste. Um, So it was that moment I would just pace the halls and I would repeatedly um, recite the Lord's Prayer. And I was just begging God to help me. Those are the only things I, you know, what I knew to do was I just kept saying, God, help me, please help me, God, help me. And it was in there um, that I know I came to Christ and, um, and was saved. Did your uh, negative spiritual experiences, the scary stuff, did it ever come back? No. Um, as soon as I came out of the hospital, I contacted a friend of mine that I knew was a Christian and... I was also set up with a Christian counselor, and um, so through them and my Christian friend, I, I purchased a study Bible and began reading God's Word, and the more I read, everything just faded away. What happened with your marriage? I mean, your husband uh, was not a believer at that point, was he? No, he wasn't, and he attended church with me, you know, all those years ago. You know, the same thing. Neither one of us studied the Bible. Uh, But when I came out of the hospital and began, you know, this Bible study and learning who Jesus was and what he did for me, and the more I read the Bible, the more my heart was just filled with so much joy. I mean, I was just bursting with joy, and I just wanted to share it with everybody. Um, But nobody, you know, close to me wanted to hear it, and especially... Uh, you know, close friends and family, they were, they were thinking, oh, here she goes again, you know, mm. <laughs> think I'm going, going mm. off the deep end again. Yeah. And um, so my husband, you know, he never wanted to hear me say anything, you know, about the Bible. He would accuse me of preaching. So I just kept it, you know, it was just, you know, it was the most wonderful time of my life. And I just, it was like in this closed box. And I could express that joy with my friend CB, who was teaching me about Jesus, and also my therapist. So it was a very difficult time in the beginning. I even had my Bible hidden in my nightstand because I knew if he even saw the Bible, he would, it would be offensive to him. And um, the more I read the Bible and I was into Romans and um, read, I uh, just kept reading how much God wants us to, to choose him above all things and to love him and to lean on him and and that he works all things for the good. Um, I knew in that moment that I had to choose God above all. So I prayed and to God and, and told him that I was choosing him above my husband, above my family, above my friends, above 
everything that he was going to come first. So that didn't mean my husband was coming, becoming second fiddle. That meant that I was now submitting to God and his law. And what does his law say? His law says that we are to submit to our husbands. So that was such a challenge and, a, and for a new Christian. You know, I'd only been a Christian a couple of months at this time. So um, I knew I had to show my love for God in front of my husband. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't want to be ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did was took my Bible out of my nightstand and put it up, put it on top of my nightstand. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was going to be like there was a spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. The minute he walked into our bedroom, that was the first thing he saw, Hmm. and the negative comments started, and I just clung to God through this whole thing and just prayed for God to forgive him, that he just doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand, just like I had been. Mm -hmm. So I did not take all his comments personally, you know, deep into my heart as as a personal attack. I used to. But now knowing what I knew as I studied the Bible, um, it just didn't pierce my heart like it used to. And it, it allowed me to love him through prayer well, and to continually pray for him, for God to save him like he saved me. Things to do, of course, uh, you're listening to some of these, right? We, we need to turn to God first and foremost. We need to be praying for our spouse. Um, but it can become so discouraging when it goes on and on and on, and we don't see any results. And it's almost like we are thinking to ourselves, God, I know you can do anything. I know you can change anybody's heart, but I just don't understand why you're not changing the heart of my husband or my wife. Um, it's during those discouraging times when we can almost give up. Yes, that's true. Um, but that's when we really have to lean on God and understand that his ways are not our ways. And that just because we might not see something externally, uh, it doesn't mean God isn't working. Yeah. And there's a plan. He's doing something. And I just kept having faith because, um, you know, it took about two years uh, for my husband to come to Christ. And it was a difficult two years. Mm -hmm. But I just completely leaned on God and trusted him, kept studying the Bible, and just you know, that's where I found my strength to keep continuing on and to show God, Jesus's love through me to him. The folks that are listening right now who have an unbelieving spouse, again, they may be running tired. They're very discouraged. What are some things they can do and what are some things they should not do? Let's list these. Uh, definitely. Um, I would refrain from preaching to your spouse, you know, putting any kind of pressure on them uh, because, you know, Matthew 13, 15 says they, their ears, they just cannot hear. Mm-hmm. And all it does is that, you know, my husband would get angry, bitter, resentment. So I just kept, you know, quiet in that respect. And uh, so what I did do was loved him, loved him as Jesus calls me to love him. I focused on myself and my own sanctification and let God take care of him. So it was my responsibility, you know, our responsibility as a believer to reflect Christ's love to him so he can see Christ 
through us. And so I loved him the best I could. I submitted to him, which was another difficult situation because he was an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, you know, and just being, having a gentle and a meek spirit, I did not get involved if he tried to instigate an argument. Um, I did not retaliate. I did not yell back. I just, uh, you know, kept quiet and I would pray for him. And, uh, you know, just serving him in a loving way. And those are the things we can do. But most importantly, of course, is prayer. Just, you know, continually praying, study the Bible, and pray for God to save our unbelieving spouse is one of the most powerful things that we can do. 